0: This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. On the platform, you see, uh, this is a, a home setting. And we're beginning our second week of Home for Christmas, our series, and our campus pastors did a great job last week talking about the story of Abraham and the journey home and, and all that that meant. And today, the title of my message is, Welcome Home. Turn to the verse next to you and say, Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome Home. Well, as we go through this series, I just want you to catch the heartbeat that we have for it, and specifically my heart for what happens with the people of God called Emmanuel and that is during Christmas in 2020, how many are looking forward to 2021 and getting 2020 in our rearview mirror? As we look forward, I, I just want our church to be a church that's ready for all the people that need to hear the good news. And uh, in this middle of this year, there's been a lot of people that have been uh, kind of taken up and become casualties of a pandemic. And uh, there's a lot going on in people's stories And right at this time, it's the best time ever to have the good news of Jesus coming to earth. Amen. And uh, so as we think about the coming home for Christmas, we're not just thinking about just church people, but we're thinking about your friends and your relatives and the people that you can call. You know, right now, you can go to church. It's allowed by the executive order. You can uh, either meet your friends and family at... Walmart, or you can meet them at church. Come on. So, so why not bring them to church sometime in the next couple of weeks, and uh, they can experience the gospel on a Sunday or in our Christmas Eve services. And I encourage you to be a bringer as well as you bring people to church or join you as you watch and join online. And uh, the reality is that the message of the gospel is that anyone, anywhere can come home. It doesn't matter what they're going through, or their life experiences, they can come home. And today we're going to look at a story that Jesus talks about that's in a home. And it's about what happens in a home and what happens when we leave the home. And it's really about the passionate love of Jesus for his kids, for his people. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells three consecutive stories all about kind of the same thing. There the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And there's a there's a reality that God cares about lost things. He cares about the lost things in our life and he cares about us when we're lost. And I want you to look at the people that, in the story that Jesus is gonna tell, and I'll read it, but it's really Jesus telling the story. I want you to look at the people in the story and ask yourself, which person am I in this story? Ask yourself, who are you in this story? Who do you, which character do you see yourself as in the story that Jesus is about to tell? All right, Luke chapter 15, starting verse 11. It says this, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. All right. What we have is Jesus is setting up the story. You have a father, a household, and you have two sons. This father, what we know about the father right now, is he's wealthy enough to give an inheritance to his sons. And so he has something to give away. The younger son says, I want my inheritance now. You know when you usually get your inheritance? When the parent dies. So he's actually... Saying, I'm not patient. I want it now. I want my stuff and I want it now. And and he's in a sense saying, I I, I deserve it. And the father, brilliantly, as Jesus weaves the story, gives it to him. He doesn't fight it. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say, Be quiet, (laughs) youngin'. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm in control. But the father gives him that opportunity. Now, what does the son have in the home before he leaves? He has protection, he has a covering, he has wisdom, everything is taken care of, and he doesn't know it yet, but the father is taking care of the bills, the electric bill, the gas bill, he takes care of the house, he, he takes care of the taxes. How many know that when you grew up and you decided to leave the home, you didn't realize how much life was expenses-wise? It's just expensive, right? And uh, so all these things are, are there. He also has a relationship. That when he would go out during the day and come back home, he had a safe place. He could sit down and just relax and be home. And there's something about the relaxation that comes at home that doesn't happen at the mall. That doesn't happen any other place. He has that sense of peace that comes from being in the home. And uh, and yet he also had to live by the father's rules in the house. How many of you know a parent has rules? You can't do certain things in this house, and you can't do other things. And I would guess he didn't want the rules anymore. He thought the father's rules were old school, out of date. Just back in your day, Dad, we, we have a different reality in Gen Z or we have a different reality in my generation. And uh, he decides, I wanna leave those things. And, uh, and he feels like a lot of people who are ready for fresh air outside the control of their parents. Not all of this is bad. But it's very common, and I would dare say that we often get to that place at later stages of our journey as well. We get into a marriage, and we feel uncomfortable, and we decide to end it. We get into a job that maybe is good for us, but we don't like it, or we don't like our boss, so we decide to leave. We decide to leave those things that may, may, maybe benefit us, and we decide it's time to go, The younger son chooses to leave. It says a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Now, as you look back, as we did in my connect group this week, in my connect group, we talked about our stories of leaving home. I remember I had gone through two years of college, was still living at home with my parents in Michigan when I decided to go to North Central University, which is downtown Minneapolis. And uh, we packed up what I had and drove out to Minneapolis and stayed here. And I shared the story with my connect group, and then I get to hear all the other people in our connect group share their stories of when we left. But as you look back, what do you miss? Whatever it is that you left, what is it that you miss? What are you missing? Now, when it comes to leaving the home, the prodigal or the younger son decided, you know what, whatever's here, I don't want it anymore. I think I can have a better life outside. And he decides, I'm just gonna leave. And he shuts the door and he's done. Now this is not the end of my message. (laughs) But he decides to leave. And uh, in the story, Jesus is talking about people who decide to leave. Some people leave the church. They leave the faith. They leave a good friendship. They leave behind principles that they had when they were younger. And they decide to chase other things. They decide to go after something else. And that's exactly what we see here. As Jesus is weaving in the tale, now the younger son is outside the house. He's left home and he decides, I'm going. He chooses to leave. Henry Nouwen says this, I am the prodigal son. Every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. We all chase it in one way or another, and we go after things, and the Father lets us go. Now, the story's outside the house. Look at verse 13. Jesus goes on. He says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Says a distant land. He's not close. He didn't move to another suburb. He actually moved far away. He wasn't even going to be able to go back home, and then on top of that, he wasted all his money on wild living. How many of us has spent it all, and then there was nothing left? I've watched in my own story, and in my friend's stories, sometimes we want to keep up with the Joneses. We want to keep up with other people, and we spend it all ahead of time, and then we pay the price later on. So it's not just that he went out and spent it all as a young person. We even do this as adults. He went out and wasted his money on wild living. Jesus says wild living. What is wild living to Jesus? Because he sees everything. Did you know he sees everything that's going on? Wild living is living outside the rules of the house. Wild living is leaving the protection of the covering of the Father's ways. And he chose, I'm going to do my own thing and lived his own way. He sowed his wild Oh, let's look at verse 14. It says, And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one else gave him anything. This story gets sad when he's away from the family it gets really sad but it's actually the beginning of the heartbeat of God being seen in the story you see in this story it says because of the circumstances his heart was about to change his eyes were about to be open he was about to see things more clearly than he ever had before In fact, on the journey, the money's out, so he goes to work. But he doesn't have food, and he wants food. He wants to take care of his daily needs. He doesn't care about the big things any longer. He just wants to survive the day. And, of course, at this moment, he's not the only one. It says there that there was a famine in the land. It was as if there was a pandemic in the land. And the circumstances in society worldwide were forcing him to look up and to remember his home. Remember what it was like back at home. Did you know in 2020, with all of the disruption that we're going through and all of the changes, there's a lot of pain in the land, isn't there? A lot of people that are out of work, a lot of people that are dealing with the tensions and frustrations in marriage where they 're fighting with one another there's a lot of tension with parents and their kids and trying to get them to do online school how many of you know how 's that going for you right and i've seen the tension and the pain and all the frustration there's been a lot of frustrations about elections going on this year in 2020 and it involves masks and it involves all kinds of executive orders and all the various frustrations and grump and grumbling and complaining that's going on. I remember from my message a couple of weeks ago that you can't complain and be thankful at the same time. There's a lot of stuff going on that's forcing us to remember home. You see, sometimes the circumstances that we're in our life are God's mercy to us. He's allowed these things to happen so that we would change in our hearts. And the pandemic that we have this year, although God never intended for anyone to die and the pain that the COVID has caused to many people and families. But I will tell you this, the good in the middle of it, his mercy is, it's like a signpost that the the bridge is out. Stop going this way. Change your life. Go in a different direction. And this is exactly what's happening as Jesus tells the story. He's telling them, listen, this is a good thing. It says about the same time as money ran out, a great famine swept the land. Think about that. We're in the middle of that. And perhaps God is wanting to turn your heart as well. And here's where Jesus shows that mercy. And sometimes the stuff happening around you is nothing more than God's gentle nudge to start the process of returning home. Look at verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he woke up. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So here he is away from home, and he begins to think differently about what he had left. When he left, his mind did not care about his father, did not care about what was going on. He was ready to go, peace out. He was done with his family. He didn't want anything to do with them. It was all about him. He was thinking only of himself, but now that he's lowered, there's something going on on the inside, See, now instead of being filled with pride, he's humble. Now he begins to reassess earlier stages of his life. Maybe my dad wasn't such a bad guy after all. Maybe there were some good things that happened in my story. Prior to this moment, when he was hanging out with everybody and had money, everybody he talked to, yeah, I lived in a crude, rude, religious family who wouldn't let me do anything. And that every problem he had was his parents' fault. Now, all of a sudden, at the bottom, when he needs some food, he starts to rethink his daddy. He starts to rethink going back. Maybe it wasn't so bad living by the rules. Maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I need to go back. And he begins to reassess it, so much so that he's visualizing in his mind, before he gets to the house, when I get there, I'm going to walk up the steps. I'm going to knock on the door, and this is what I'm going to say. And he rehearses what he's going to say. Anybody ever do that? He begins to rehearse what he's going to say. He said, Father, I've sinned against both you, heaven and you. He realizes he did something wrong to his dad, and he really violated the leadership of heaven. And he decides to take that long journey home, willing to live by the father's rules again. And this is where we see the father. You see, the father is at the doorstep looking for his son. And the father never left home And never left his heart for his son. In fact, the father was thinking about his son the whole time. And he's looking for his son. He's looking for his kids. And Jesus heavily emphasizes the father in his heart in this story. Look at verse 20. It says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him, and he kissed him. And his father said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. We see here a picture of the heart of a father who knows his son did some stupid things, who knows his son had left the path, who knows he had spent all his money, and yet the father is still there when the son awakens to himself and comes to his senses. He begins to think back to the house, to the home he had once lived in, And he begins to walk up. And as he reaches the edge of the property, the father looks out and comes running towards him. I've been waiting for you. And he gives him a hug. He embraces him, he kisses him on the cheek. And he calls him back to home. This, my friends, is the picture of a homecoming. The homecoming isn't when he gets everything right. And he's gone through two years of penance. Then maybe we'll let him back into the family. The father brings the home to the son. Before the son even gets to the door, the father comes running and says, you're home. I've been waiting for you. The son that I thought was dead is now alive. There's something powerful this Christmas about the heartbeat of Father God, who looks at the children of the whole world, who looks at the children of the Twin Cities, who looks at people, not just the ones who are in church, but the people who are like slipping through online and are catching it right now. Or the people who don't want anything to do with religion, or the people who have labels on them, they're a sinner, they've done wrong things, they've they've, they've left the path. Maybe they've done different things with their sexuality that the Bible says you shouldn't do. Maybe they've they've done things with their, their 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 money that they shouldn't do. Maybe they've been mean. Maybe they've done they've inhaled certain things that they shouldn't put in their body. Maybe they've become alcoholics. Maybe they've divorced somebody. Maybe they've been an abuser. Maybe they've done something to somebody else. Maybe they don't have the right skin color for the neighborhood that they live in and they feel ostracized. Whatever those groups of people are, I'm telling. Telling you this Christmas, Jesus is smiling and reaching out, and the father heart of God is calling out to the people who are outside the home and he's running to them. He loves them. He's desperately loving them. Come on, somebody. He hasn't forgotten his kids. And just because somebody has done something wrong and they have a stubborn heart and because they've left the faith and even some of them have pushed good, godly people away. Maybe there's a prodigal son or daughter in your own home that left the house and they're wandering and you don't know where they are. I want you to know the Father sees them and knows them this Christmas. Come on, somebody. He knows them. And then... He says those words to his father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. It's interesting to me, the son felt like he had to say it. I'm sorry. There is something about humility that isn't just kept in your head and your heart. About looking at the people we've harmed and wronged and saying, I'm sorry. It's important for us to say it. And of course, the father loves him and forgives him, but the prodigal, the lost, the younger son, he had to say it. It was a part of his process of coming home. And then, of course, he comes home, and the father says, come on in, follow me in, and he gets to come home. And as the son comes home, he sees the things he wants remembered, the things that he had left behind. And the cool thing is the father isn't done welcoming home. Look at verse 22. It says this, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. And for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I love this because Jesus is telling the story. Did you know that God is not a killjoy? He likes to party. God loves the party. Jesus is telling the story of partying. The right way. Come on, somebody. And what he does is he gets the best for his guest who's come home. He gets the best for his son. Even though he didn't deserve it, he gets the best for him. Why? Because this is a new part of the story. We're seeing the heartbeat of God the Father. And you and I can do the same thing as we think about church. That when God brings people into our church, my dream as a pastor Is that when people pull into the parking lot on any one of our campuses, as they pull into the campus, my dream is they meet a face of somebody who's in our parking ministry. They're out in the parking lot and they're smiling and waving at the people that they come in. Their first impression is the heart of the father saying, welcome home. That when they get out of their cars and they walk up, they they bounce into people who are also getting out of their cars. And some of them have been in the church for decades of their life. But the welcome home continues as we see people we don't know. The heart of the Father flows out of us. And then they get into the lobbies and all they can see is faces of people that are ready for that one moment when that person comes home. I can't wait as God continues to do this in our people that we, we can join just like the servants. Notice, it wasn't just the father that killed the fatted calf. It wasn't the father that did all this stuff. He turned to the rest of the servants in his family, and he said, I want you, everybody got get involved in bringing that person home. This Christmas, this is exactly what we need to remember, that it's not just about you being home. It's about welcoming people home. Come on, somebody. It's about being a part of the heartbeat of the father. Jesus isn't done telling his story though because the fact is there was another person in the house. He was there at the beginning of the story and he stayed the whole time the younger son went away. And it was the older son, the older brother to the lost son. And Jesus is now telling a story. And I want you to catch something. Look this way. Because this is the moment that actually the whole reason Jesus told this story was for this moment. Because he was going to speak to the audience that was full of religious church people, if you will. And as he spoke to that audience, he wanted them to see themselves as a certain character in his story. That character is the older brother. And this is why I'm sharing the story today. Because even though many of us, if not most of us, have received the love and forgiveness and favor of God, Jesus would look back to us and tell us this part of the story as well. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry, and wouldn't go in. He wouldn't go in. His father came out, out the door. He begged him. The father begged him. He says, all these years, the, the older son says, he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on your dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Oh, let me go back to 31, sorry. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is what? Yours. We had to celebrate This happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is what? So inside the house, this other child was around the father, but he didn't get the heart of the father. He was in the house, but not really of the house. It's possible to be in church and not get, you could be here for years. And not have the heart of the father. And Jesus is telling this story because he's challenging these religious leaders who, as he came to earth, Jesus spent time with people nobody else would spend time with. He spent time with the tax collectors. He spent time with people that were outsiders. He spent time with people that religious people didn't spend time with. And he was doing the heartbeat of the father, the work of the father. And while this is going on, over on the side where the religious people who are looking down their nose at him, go, you can't do that. Those people aren't worth it. They haven't followed the law. They haven't done what's right. They didn't stay by God's rules. And there was judging going on in their heart. And they were missing the whole point. The son of God was here and speaking to them. Jesus came to the earth for those people. And the religious were outraged that the good news had reached the younger brother. Today, I want to challenge you to consider you might be an older brother if you have deep anger. If you have anger that's spilling out on you, out of you on other people, it says in verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. If you're outside and you refuse to participate in what God's heartbeat is for other people, you're so full of anger and outrage, then there's something wrong. There's something you're missing out on. And the father was begging the older son to come in, but this older son felt that he was owed something just because he followed the rules. It isn't fair, and out of that unfairness, that injustice, anger explodes. I guess back in those days, that they would have thrown it all out on social media. Calling everybody out. Because that's what was coming out of the heart on others. People that are like this are transactional with their relationships. They're happy with others as long as they pay off. And as soon as they don't pay off, we blow up on them. Marriages. Marriage is fine until they do something we don't like and now all of a sudden it explodes out of us. And Jesus called us to do the opposite, to pick up the cross, to turn the other cheek, to give up our life in order to find it. Can I get an amen to that? Maybe you're an older brother if you are joyless with mechanical obedience. Maybe you've lost your joy. It says in verse 29, the older brother said, all these years I've slaved for you. He viewed all those years as slavery. Here he's in the house. He's got all the father's blessings. The entirety of the rest of the inheritance was his. And all these years, all he viewed it was as drudgery until it would pay off someday. He had lost his joy. You know, church, I don't want to be one of those people as I age that I get grumpier as time goes by. Where all I do is complain and moan and pick out the differences in other people. I want to retain the joy. The joy of the Lord is my what? Strength. It's the very thing that gives me the power to live through life. I don't want the mechanical obedience and the joylessness to be a part of my story. And I don't want my kids to see that in me or reproduce in them because it's in me. Third, you might be an older brother if you use comparison to determine God's love for you. Verse 29, again, he said, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. You know what he's saying in there? He's comparing himself to his brother. How come you're treating him different than you're treating me? It's called the sin of comparison. And the sin of comparison can lead you to not be happy when other people succeed, to not have compassion when others are hurting. It's their fault, but the, uh, from the Father's perspective, he's waiting for them to come home. And the result is we become judgmental and unforgiving. And if that's our disposition, if that's our attitude, we're in danger. This is, It's the danger of the moment for the American church. For this is how the world sees the American church. In this hour, we're a bunch of complainers. We're not necessarily thinking about the people that are hurting next door, or the marriage that's suffering, or the little kid that might be going through abuse two doors down, but nobody knows it because they're not at school and there's no red flags. We're not thinking about the people in our community that don't have a meal today because they don't have food, because they lost their job. We're not thinking about the people who are around the block that are struggling in their marriage, even though they have all their finances that they need, their marriage is really crumbling in the middle of a pandemic. We're we're not thinking about the people that are outside that God is calling home. If we're consumed with our own needs and we're too concerned about what's going on with an election, And we're too concerned about what's going on in politics or every hot-button issue that's going on. And we want to call people out and be on social media. It's an injustice. And we spend the entirety of our focused prayer on something that we can't control. While we miss the people that God wants us praying for. Now listen to me, I do believe if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face. I do believe that we need to pray for our land. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our governor. We pray for politicians in general. We need to pray for revival in our country. But I say even more important is to pray for and love your neighbor as yourself. To take care of the people that are in our own city and to be thinking about them. But the world around us, including the friends you work with, the people that are in your friend on, uh, friends on, on Facebook, or, or people that are following you on Twitter, or watching you on Instagram, or following you on whatever social media platform you're on, what are they seeing and feeling from you? Is it the heart of the Father? Or are you an older brother? Because really, that's what it's all about this Christmas. I don't want anybody to feel judged today because you're feeling the conviction of the Spirit. I feel it too. I simply want to come to church and hear Jesus' story because I can tell you, when Jesus told the story, you could have heard a pin drop. Because everybody went, oh, you're talking about me. And whether you see yourself today as that son who wandered off and... You you once walked with God, you once knew what it was like to live right, to be in the family, but you decided to leave and you wandered off. I want you to know you, like the prodigal son, can turn in your heart and humble yourself and you can come home. But so can the older brother. The older brother can follow the younger brother's example by bowing our knee and getting rid of the pride and receiving through humility, what the Father offers. I don't want the toxic waste of our day and age to fill my soul or my character. I want the Father and His heart to overflow out of me. I want the Father to overflow through me. Today, I wanna just challenge you to listen to the story Jesus told and to consider how God might use you this Christmas. To be a part of his ongoing story of the love of Christ, reaching people that are unlikely to be reached. Loving people that are unlikely to be loved. Caring for people because, listen, God is about to do a harvesting of souls. He cares about the whole world, and he's calling his children home. Come on, somebody. He's calling them home because he loves them so much. Would you stand with me today? We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be cold to the younger brother. We want to reflect the heart of the father. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? There are people that are under the sound of my voice today. I don't know your story, but I know Jesus does. And as we were reading the story today that Jesus told, He might have been talking to you because you're away from him and you need to give your life to Jesus. You need to make the journey back to the front doorstep. You're on the outside and he's calling you to come on the inside, to come back home. Nobody's looking around but if you say, Pastor Nate, I need to come home. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to follow his ways. But you need to know the heartbeat of the Father, the forgiveness of the Father, the transformation of the Father, the welcome home of the Father. No matter what your circumstances have been, this is your day to give your life back to Jesus and to come to Him. I want to pray with you. Nobody's looking around, but if you say, Pastor Nate, that's me. I need to come home. I need to give my life back to Christ. I need to come back to the Father. Just put your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Nate. That's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And you can even indicate that if you're watching online right now. You can just say, hey, I'm, I'm making my step by putting it in on a, on the, online in the comment section or whatever you need to do. But you're going to take that step. Well, I want to pray with you. So your next step is to just turn and actually talk to the Father. Just like the younger son said, please forgive me. I have sinned against you. You need to have your moment where you open your mouth up before heaven and surrender your life to Christ. So if that's you right now, I want to to lead you in a prayer. and Everybody else, you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth. You died on the cross for my sin. And then you rose from the dead. And now I know you're alive. Today... I give up and surrender to you. Please forgive me of my sin and for not living with you. But today, I'm coming home. I'm coming back to you. I want to live with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise. As people return to faith, give their life to Christ the best thing ever. I want to encourage you if you prayed that prayer to take your next step of staying in the house. You can do that. I'll give you some simple ways of following Jesus over the next few steps of your journey next days and weeks of following Jesus. You can text the word Emmanuel to 313131 I'll send you that quick link even right now. Thank you for listening to Emanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.